0: Yesterday, I had the opportunity to take part in a funeral of a, a good brother down in Somerville, Georgia. Uh, he was a member of the congregation uh, when I preached down there, at the South Commerce Congregation, and he lived uh, to be 88 years old, a great servant of God. It's always difficult to lose good brethren, but we also realize that uh, they've gone on to a better reward, but... In doing funerals over the years, I've thought about a lot of things when you look out and you're you're facing an audience of mixed people, in fact, of their spiritual levels and their relationship with God or the fact that they may not have a relationship with God. You think about a lot of different things. It gives me and has given me the opportunity to reflect on my relationship with God and which is a good thing because we always want to think about our relationship with God and our service to God and bringing glory to His name. And as we think about those things, we can think back when we decided to serve God, make that decision. And life is full of decisions some good, some bad, some indifferent. But we make decisions every day in all kinds of categories. But the sad thing is, many people do not make decisions concerning their spiritual welfare. And sad indeed, because one day we're all going to leave this world. We all have an appointment with death. And for those who have dedicated their lives to serving God, In a sense, it is a welcome death. Now, the way that a person leaves this world is not always the way that they prefer. I'm sure that you have thought about that for yourself and you have realized that there are some ways that you don't want to leave this world. But yet, it's not so much thinking about the way that we will leave this world, but what happens afterwards. There is a spiritual realm, and when man leaves this world, he enters into that spiritual realm. And as Luke 16th chapter shows us, that that Hadean realm is comprised of two, well, actually, we could say three areas, one torments, one paradise, and the gulf that is, or the span that is in between both. But the thing is, each person will enter that Hadean realm when they leave this world. Therefore, a person needs to decide or to choose whether they're going to serve God or not. Joshua, the successor to Moses, Moses' right-hand man, if you want to put it that way, was to lead the Israelites once Moses passed on. And Joshua was a dedicated servant to God. And many people read the book of Joshua and they're very familiar with the verse or what actually what Joshua said as recorded for us in Joshua the 24th chapter in verse 15. As a matter of fact, there have been a couple of times when I was knocking doors that I'd go to a door and I could see a door plaque that would have this verse on the front door. Joshua said, speaking to the children of Israel, putting them in a position to make a decision about their spiritual welfare. And oftentimes we do this when we're speaking with people, helping them to uh, come to a knowledge of the truth. We ask questions about their spiritual relationship with God. And Joshua said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, see, Joshua went ahead, he had already made his decision, he made his choice. Now, he's telling the children of Israel, it's time for you to make your choice. And as I thought about that verse, thinking back on my years as a Christian, I thought about why I chose to serve God. Now, when people choose to serve God, we hope it is for the right reason. Because if they're not serving God for the right reason, God does not accept that service. But we need to serve God for the right reasons. In our world today, we have those who do not believe in God at all. They say there's no supreme being of any kind. The only way that we got here was by evolving. After the Big Bang Theory, they believe to be the start of all of that. So there are those who do not believe in God at all, some who are not sure, and then those who know that God exists. But, why I decided to serve God is probably the same reasons that you did. I just thought I would mention a few of those this morning. The reason, one reason I decided to serve God is because I know He is a creator of all things. Even as a child, I understood that God existed. Why? One reason, because I was taught But another reason, God gave me a brain to use so that I can reason. And I can look at the things. And as Paul says in Romans, the first chapter, talking about the things that we see in nature, should tell a person that there is a God. Because things do not create themselves. It is a scientific fact that you can't get something from nothing. Nothing. So we know that things don't create themselves. They have to have a creator. If you have your Bibles, turn to the very first chapter in the book, I mean in the Bible. And it is interesting as we read Genesis 1. I'm not going to read the, the whole chapter, but we want to notice some things. I would encourage you to go back and read. Read it when you have time. But as we look at what is said in Genesis, we can see from the very first verse, that God exists, that God created things. Now, there are people who say, well, how do you know this book is correct? Well, we'll deal with that a little bit later on. But knowing that this is the Word of God, I believe what it says. And as I mentioned a moment ago about evolution, there are members of the body of Christ who believe in such a thing called theistic evolution. In other words, God created everything, but He did it through an evolutionary process. Well, if that's true, then Genesis 1-1 and the, the account of the creation is absolutely incorrect. But there is no such thing as theistic evolution. In the beginning, God created. tells us right there that God created, God made, God brought things into existence. And then as we read through the chapter, we see the things that God created. But as you read through this chapter, you will come across some phrases such as, and God said, let there be light. God spoke things into existence. God said. Also, and God made. And as we just read, God created. Those are mentioned several times in that first chapter. So that tells us that God is a creator of all things. Now, it is beyond our comprehension how God was able to do all of that. You know, oftentimes people want to know, well, where did God come from? Who created God? Well, we know God wasn't created. But it is something to think about sometimes. I'm sure that you've wondered the same thing. How did God come to be uh, the way he is well my personal opinion on that is even if god told us we wouldn't be able to understand it so why you know god's not going to waste his word so why put something in here that we can't understand people oftentimes say well i'll wait till i get to heaven and find out the answer to that question well personally i don't know if i'll care by that time just being in heaven is going to be great enough i don't have to to wonder about all those questions, but it also may be that God will help us at that time. I don't know; that is just pure speculation. But we see that God is the creator of all things. Isaiah chapter forty and verse twenty-eight tells us that the God that God is the creator. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator? of the ends of the earth. Isaiah, guided by the Holy Spirit, tells us that God is the creator. He also tells us that God is an everlasting God. God has no beginning. God has no end. Now, as we deal with the question, how do you know these things are true? And oftentimes people will say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? Can you prove that the Bible is true? Yes, we can. A person with an open and honest mind will know that this is the Word of God. And one thing I like to refer to in answering this question is the fact that there are prophecies and there are fulfillments of those prophecies in Scriptures. Most of us are familiar with a man that lived some time ago that made all kinds of predictions nostradamus but you know he didn't get it right all the time i don't know how he was able to do as well as he did maybe he was just uh, of that mind that was able to look at things and you know figure things out better than most i don't know but i know that when god made a prophecy god got it right every time 100 percent of the time not one failure anywhere And when you add common sense into looking at these prophecies, how could someone several hundred years before prophecy was fulfilled know that that was going to happen? In the Bible, it shows that God had a hand in it. In Isaiah 7, 14, where Isaiah prophesies about the virgin birth of Christ, it says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Now, let's look at a couple of things within this one verse. How did Isaiah know, first of all, that somebody would be born and be called Emmanuel? Common name maybe back in those days, and just make a, a stab in the dark out yeah, some days, some day. A man, a, a boy will be born and we'll call his name Emmanuel. Coincidence, possibly. But also, how did he know that Jesus would be born of a virgin? Now, that's another subject for another time. Don't want to get off into that. But we know the natural process of procreation. But when we read about the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew the first chapter, we can see that it was no ordinary birth. So how did Isaiah, why didn't he just say he'll be born of a woman? Because he wasn't born of just a woman. He was born of a virgin. So we can see a couple of things in this verse alone that no man could know except God give him that information. Maybe a coincidence on one thing, but hit it right. Also, the fact that he would be born in Jerusalem. I mean, excuse me, Bethlehem. I made a statement in class this morning about the Book of Mormon and how we compare it, what it says to the Bible. The Book of Mormon says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That was a prophecy long before that took place. And then when we go to Matthew, the first chapter, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. How did Isaiah know all of those accounts? Lucky guess on one, but all the ones that he mentions here, connecting to all the other prophecies? That's how we know that this is God's Word, because man cannot have that information, he cannot be that lucky in guessing so he cannot have that information unless God gives it to him. How about the, uh, the prophecy of the crucifixion? Continuing with Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Remember Philip goes to the chariot where the eunuch is and he asks the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? He says, not unless somebody helps me. And he began reading the scripture and it's Isaiah 53 which prophesies, prophesied the death The crucifixion of Christ. Another lucky guess? No. Only God can give that information ahead of time and have it come true exactly as he says. That is why that God is the creator of all things, has all knowledge, all understanding. His ways are different than the ways of man because he has that ability. Another reason I have decided to follow God is I understand that it is foolishness not to follow God. Reading what He has put forth in in His Holy Word helps me to think correctly. Helps me come to a realization of what truth is. But I have to be willing to accept that. I have to be willing to look at what God has said and not want to change it, not want to... Apply it to my life in a way that is not right, I've got to have an open and honest heart about what is said in the scriptures. Many people will understand what the Bible says, but there'll be something that will cause them to reject it. That's how I understand what the Bible says, but I always get that three letter word in there, but what that means is I don't really accept what this says. Oh, I know what it's saying, but I don't accept it. I don't know if you've thought of this before, but to disobey God is to basically say God does not exist. For all practical purposes, He he might as well not exist if a person's not going to follow Him. If a person's not going to go by God's Word, live by God's Word, he might as well not exist, because he's he's not going to help that person at all. We, we know that from His Word. That a person has to follow God in order to have eternal life. But to disobey God is, is essentially saying God doesn't exist. You're not living your life according to His Word, so what are you doing with God? You're doing nothing with God. But yet in the back of your mind you're saying, well, when it comes to judgment time, you know, I'll be waiting for my invitation into heaven. Many people deceive themselves in thinking that way. Of course, many claim to be followers of God, followers of Christ, but their actions and their thoughts are in opposition to God's Word. We all know when we usually talk about people who don't believe in God, we we know what... Psalm fifty-three, one says, "The fool has said in his heart, there is no God.' We understand that, but we also understand that that is foolishness to do that." Jesus said, "Why call ye me, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do the things which, and not do the things which I say?" That is a verse that comes to my mind so many times when I have heard someone say, either to me or. Someone else, or write something down about believing in Jesus or following Jesus, but they're not following His words. Jesus says, Why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do the things I say? A true disciple is a follower. And oftentimes in Scriptures, we see the word disciple or disciples. Why? Because they were followers of Jesus, they followed what He said. When we follow what Jesus says, we are followers, we are disciples. But that is an interesting verse. Jesus was well aware of those that were going around calling him Lord, but were not doing the things that he said. So we have the obligation not only to know what Jesus says, but to follow it. Solomon had something to say about foolishness, about fools. In Proverbs the twelfth chapter and verse fifteen, Solomon says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes." Can you think of some instances where that has applied or is applied? Many people think that what they're doing is okay. Some years ago, I heard of a woman that was out in Las Vegas. And her profession was a stripper. But not just the average one. She was doing it for Christ. Now, she may have sincerely been deficient mentally. I don't know. But how strange. That's a person in a sense, saying, I can do what I want and just say that it's for Christ, and everything's okay. God will accept that. Solomon also says in Proverbs 24, 7, wisdom is too high for a fool. I mean, if you want to read through the book of of Proverbs, and it's a great book, it talks oftentimes about wisdom and foolishness. But knowing that God is the creator of the world and knowing that God is the creator of a place called heaven and He has promised us eternal life, common sense says, I want to go there. But common sense also says, I've got to do it God's way. And Ecclesiastes, the second chapter in verse 14, but the fool walketh in darkness. Now, people say, well, you're judging people. I'm not judging anybody. That's what God said. God said the person that says there is no God is a fool. I haven't judged that person. But unfortunately in our society today, people think if you speak against someone, you you automatically hate them. You automatically judge them. Because they don't have the reasoning. They don't have the logic to see it correctly when we talk about homosexuality being a sin and those that uh practice such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven all of a sudden we've become judge jury and executioner yes i know there are people out there who are against homosexuality and they have actions that are not in harmony with the bible when they deal with such such as violence, in other ways. The same with the abortion issue, where people will go around and blow up an abortion clinic. That's not what God teaches. Yeah, He he says that that's wrong, but then the person becomes wrong if they're not handling it the way God has said handle it. So therefore, when the Bible talks about foolish people, It talks about foolish people and their lack of wisdom, their lack of understanding, and it will cost them their soul. Then the last one this morning, I have decided to follow God because God has promised me eternal life. You know, if you took the worst day out of your entire life and had to live that over and over and over, that would be sad. You would not want that. If you ever saw the movie Groundhog Day, you understand what that would be like. That would be punishment enough for not serving God. But God has provided a place for us that we can not only be with Him, but we can be in a place of joy, comfort, love. Why wouldn't you want to go there? God has promised that eternal life, and He has done something about that. He has sacrificed His only begotten Son for that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, John fourteen six. So that means that no person is ever going to get to God unless they go through Christ. And you can't go through Christ without obeying His Word. John 3.16 is one of the, I would say, the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. And it's also one of the most misapplied, misunderstood. When John writes, or Jesus says, about believing, people, they think that's just a mental assent. But when we look at what John says there, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... What greater sacrifice is there? He has made it possible for us to spend eternity with him, but it took the life of Christ to do that. And for a person not to understand the Scriptures and follow that is to say, I don't really care that Jesus was crucified. I don't care about what they did. That person will not see the gates of heaven. The Bible tells us so. Paul says in Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God has made it possible. Why wouldn't you want to take part in that? Why would you want to be a part of God's family so that you could have eternal life? God cannot lie, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 6:18. So therefore when God has promised that to us, God will fulfill His promise. And we know that He will fulfill His promise because He is holy and just and righteous. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Just as Joshua had made that decision to follow God, whether anybody else did or not, he made the right decision. Just because God... Is a creator doesn't mean that he is going to save everybody because he has love, he loves everybody. But he has also said in his word that not everybody is going to be saved. Those who rebel, those who are disobedient, will not benefit from being God's children in this world. God has prepared a place for us, he has made the sacrifice, the decision. Is ours. What kind of decision have you made in your life about your spiritual condition, about your relationship with God? It's probably one of the most important questions you'll ever ask yourself. Need to consider it this morning. But God tells us we have to do certain things before we can have that eternal life. As we see in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's where our faith begins. Our faith grows through God's word. Also, we're to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins, John eight twenty four. And then repentance is absolutely necessary, Acts 17, 30, Luke 13, 3, and other verses. Because if we don't change our lives and live for God, live according to His Word, nothing else matters, no matter what we do. And then the confession publicly, to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. We see that happening with the eunuch, as Philip uh, baptized the eunuch. And then to be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16 and other verses show that baptism is for the remission of sins. Paul says in Romans 6 that we're baptized into his death. And that like Christ was raised from the dead, we also should be raised to walk in newness of life. Those are the things that God has commanded everyone to do if they want to become a member of the body of Christ and have eternal life. If you have not done those, you need to make that decision this morning whether you're going to do that, whether you're going to make that right decision. I pray that you do. But as a child of God, this morning, if you need to respond publicly for whatever reason it might be, we encourage you to do so. Because none of us are guaranteed another moment. I hope you make the right decision this morning as we stand and sing.